0: Let's look together to the Lord once more in prayer. Father in heaven, as we continue in worship now, we come to pick up your word and we pray, Lord, that you would use it to draw the worship of our hearts out of us. That, Lord, by applying your word we to us, we, Lord, would be in fresh awe of you and the character of the extraordinary love which you have shown to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would not leave us to ourselves this morning, but that you would come and minister to us out of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The famous uh, general, General Burnsides, when just a lowly lieutenant in uh, the army of the United States fell hopelessly in love with uh, a young woman from Kentucky. And she was so charming, biographers tell us, that the young officer was dazzled by her personal beauty and accomplishments, charmed by her affability, and bewitched by her fascinations. I think he was lovesick. I think we can can pretty much say that. He asked her hand in marriage. He could hardly wait and it was granted and the license was acquired and the dress was bought and the wedding day arrived the handsome lieutenant stood before the minister with his beautiful and fetching bride <coughs> when burnsides was asked would he take her to be his lawfully wedded wife he gave a loud and emphatic yes the minister turned to the blushing bride and asked the question of her, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? And there was an awkward pause. And then from beneath her veil, she said softly, no. And that was the end of the wedding day. And you can imagine all that followed. But in the end, uh, The broken-hearted Burnside's abandoned uh, all hope that he could ever marry this Belle from Kentucky, but he recovered from the experience rather quickly. Uh, He was young, and there were other women around, and uh, so he recovered quickly, and so did she. A few years later, another handsome young man, a lawyer from Ohio, proposed to the same woman, and again, she accepted and the wedding day came, and as was the custom of the time, the lawyer picked her her up in his carriage to take her to the church, and as the horses trotted along, the lawyer peeled back his jacket like this and revealed a revolver sitting in a holster on his chest. And he looked over to the young bride with a smile and said, you will either leave the church today, my wife, or a corpse. (laughs) The wedding went off without a hitch. There were no uh, awkward pauses at all. And the two, believe it or not, lived together happily ever after. Um, They had a loving relationship uh, that lasted their whole life long. Um, All that is to say this, that love is a strange thing. Um, To be either loved by or to be in love with someone is a grand experience. But it can also be an odd one, too, or a difficult one. But surely the grandest and most satisfying experience in a loving relationship is when it's the sort of love that runs soul deep, if we can put it that way, soul deep. We often call those that we love with this sort of profound connection our soul mates. And when soul mates meet and marry, it often forms the strongest and most extraordinary bonds. Providentially, the Christian is directed by scripture, to search for just such a partner from the beginning, such a partner in marriage, by requiring that believers marry believers. And when two hearts are first joined together to Christ, they're on good ground for every other sort of union. But the sort of love that arises from people being joined in this soul-deep connection isn't just reserved to couples. uh, Because, Being a soulmate with someone may transcend those sorts of things. Such a relationship may indeed have a romantic element to it. There may be a romantic aspect that ends up in marriage. And it's truly wonderful when a man and a woman come together and have that sort of deep, profound love for each other. But this sort of love, this sort of soul-linked affection isn't limited to romantic connections. It seems that David and Jonathan were soulmates in this sense. When Jonathan fell in battle with his father Saul, we read that David said in 2 Samuel chapter 1, and verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women." how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. And despite the perverted efforts to make this out to be an expression of some sort of illicit relationship, it's clear that David is referring here to something deep in the heart and that tied them together as brothers in their love for and their service to the Lord. And to try and limit this heartfelt expression of David to a perverse passion of some sort is to is, is to demonstrate a shallowness of mind and understanding that misses the point altogether that David is making here, even in the context now, over the last few weeks we 've been talking about the uncommon extraordinary love of God for his elect for his sheep, for all of those who make up what the scripture refers to as the bride of Christ. In short, the wonderful character of God's love for you, if you're his in Christ today, is a truly soul-deep relationship unlike any other. Now, some of you who may be hearing me this morning may not Know yet that you are Christ and that he does love you. But if his eye is on you, if he loves you in the person of his son, if God loves you in Jesus Christ, then he will draw you with gentle cords and with what are called the bands of love. He will take the yoke of sin and death and judgment from around your neck and stoop and feed you. In fact, this may even be the day. This might be the day when you discover by grace that the love of God is resting on you, calling you, drawing you out of the cold darkness of unbelief into the joy of his love so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This may be that day for you if you, you don't know that love yet. If he loves you, that love will find you. Now, there are four qualities to this extraordinary love of God that we want to consider. And I hope and pray that those of you who know his love that you're going to be able to rejoice in these things. And that any of you who have not yet known it will see what a precious thing it is to know it and to have this love and that you'll seek it through Jesus Christ even now. This is such a precious thing, such a valuable thing, such a wonderful thing that we would urge you with all our hearts, To seek to know this love. We're only taking one of the four qualities this morning so that we have time to think it through and savor it carefully. And the first quality we want to address is the fact that the love of God is free. It is free. Listen to the voice of God through his prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 3. And the Lord says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Now, there's an expression that is beautiful, but not one that I think we can easily describe what is intended here by the sure mercies of David. Well, the sure mercies of David involved the gospel, the good news that God sent his only begotten son into the world to die for our sins. And that after the Savior, Jesus Christ, offered himself on the cross, was dead and buried, he rose on the third day promising eternal life to all who believe in him and his sacrifice on the cross. This encompasses the sure mercies of David. It's a term used to refer to the everlasting covenant of God's love that comes to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. As Matthew Henry says, these covenant mercies, that is the forgiveness of sins and, and the washing away of guilt and the imputed righteousness of Christ and the hope of eternal life, these covenant mercies of his love are purchased by Christ. They are promised to you in Christ and dispensed by Christ at his will. And those are the sure mercies of David. That's what's promised to us in the gospel. It's the manifestation, God tells us, of his love for us. And it's a blessing that this love is so free to you and me because we have nothing with which to purchase it. It's too valuable to be bought by us, and we have no riches to begin with that are worthy of making the purchase. Let's talk first of all about the pricelessness of this love. You know, we speak of things being priceless, and what we mean by that is that they're so valuable that we can't fix a price to them. They're just beyond being able to say this is what it's worth. To be the object of God's love is such a precious thing, beloved, that there's no way to put a price on it. And this is where the struggle comes in when you begin to speak about this love. There's no way for a finite creature To express adequately the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. It's just not possible to do. David put its priceless character in this way. And you all read it a few moments ago. It's in Psalm 63 verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Because knowing the love of God is better than life itself. David says. I will praise you. And he's expressing in that the fact that this is priceless, this relationship of love that we have from God. Charles Spurgeon said, life is dear, but God's love is dear. To dwell with God is better than life at its best. Life at ease, in a palace, in health, in honor, in wealth, In pleasure, yea, a thousand lives are not equal to the eternal life which abides in Jehovah's smile. To know that we abide in the love of God and He looks on us lovingly is priceless. We can't put a value on that, it is better than everything in life itself. The circumstances of your lives in this world, as you know, and I don't need to tell you, are constantly changing. They're impacted by political events and at home and abroad. Uh, they're affected by the changes even of the seasons and other natural events and trends. Health and eventually age have their influence on your lives. But despite all these changes... Life remains to us dear. But to dwell in the unchangeable love of God is to live a life that transcends life in this sense in every conceivable way. I like the way it's put, to to know that we live under the smile of Jehovah. That smile, which is the result of his love for us, The Christian enjoys the riches and the satisfying quality of God's love, even and among all the changing circumstances of this life. The prophet Zephaniah said this in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So here you are, you know, struggling in life with all the circumstances that, that change in life. And here's the mighty one loving you and showering his love upon you, and by that love, quieting you and bringing out a song of thanksgiving. And everyone who knows this love knows of its truly inestimable value. Lehman put it this way in his hymn. But we would ink the ocean fill and where the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels' song. So it is priceless. But we happen to be penniless. And that's why it's a good thing it's free. Its cost as it pertains to us, is out of reach as well because we have nothing to trade with. All our righteousnesses, God tells us, are in his sight as filthy rags. Hoping to trade for the affection of God by your works or by some sacrifice is infinitely more bizarre than trying to go into a jewelry store and buying a diamond with a lint in your pocket. Is there any hope of that? No, there's no hope of that at all. And we have nothing to trade with. We, We have nothing we can give in exchange for this kind of love. Anything that you could offer is worthless to begin with. So it's not merely a matter of not having a sufficient, or not having sufficient virtue to purchase the love of God. You and I have no virtue to trade with to begin with. We possess nothing that can be offered. And that's why we rejoice in the good news that the love of God is free. Free to us by the grace of God. But to say that it's free, beloved, free to you and me, doesn't mean that it's yours without any cost. The love of God is not had cheaply. And it's a precious treasure to be prized by all who know it. There's no cost to you and me, beloved, because as a result of his great love for you, God made it possible for you to know this love and for you to love him. By sending his own son to pay that inestimable price for your soul, for your life, on your behalf. As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. If it were not for the sacrifice of the lamb of God for your sins, you could never know this love, beloved, nor could you ever love him. I mean truly, honestly, humbly, really love him who is God. There are those who with a superstitious heart believe that they have some sort of love for God and that God loves them. It's a shallow love. They believe that they love God and God loves them so long as they're worthy of that love. And and that's what they look for, being worthy of it. So long as they woo his affections with chants and with ceremonies and with burning candles and good works and gifts. But those who are enchanted by such things know neither the true character of God's love, nor the inherent selfishness and empty character of their own affections. Simply put, those who seek to buy God's love put too little value on the love of God, while at the same time they place too high a value on their own efforts. And by doing so, they substitute in their minds and hearts a weak and fragile and unstable relationship for the strong, enduring, stable, soulmate-like love that comes from knowing the love of God through Jesus Christ by grace. They miss it. They don't have it. They don't have that, that attachment. They don't have the strength of that conviction. They don't have the strength of that love coming into their lives. But those who know that it's theirs by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, that they're in that love because God has chosen to love them. They are in a a, a sense of soulmate-like love that is strong and stable. As the prophet Ezekiel says, with their mouth, these superstitious folks show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Now, because Christ did love his sheep. And Mr. Billhart read to us this morning from that passage in John. So so easy to miss those words, but they they are emphatic, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. After having said that, then we're taken to the foot washing. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. That's the kind of love Christ showed. Because Christ did love his sheep and offered himself as a ransom, you, on whom this love shines, enjoy a type of soulmate love with the God who made you that is extraordinary. Your Savior said this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Once you come to God in Christ, obeying the command of the gospel to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation by grace, the love of the Father bursts over you like a soothing shower. It's yours in, with, and through Christ. And the more we know and understand that love, the more we long to be closer to Him, the one who loves us and so refreshingly and tenaciously and forcefully shows that love to us. Have you ever been painfully separated from someone you love? Um and you're unable to reach them you you can't get to them if that's ever happened and they have made the effort to get to you you know what a wonderful thing it is what a precious thing it is that they've made that difference and come to you well in this case you who are loved by God will find him making up the distance. Jesus says here, we will come to you. We will come to you. As yet, you've not gone to be with him. Hasn't happened yet. You're still in this world and struggling with the distractions and with the weaknesses of the flesh. But he has come to be with you and to stay to make his home with you. Jesus says, this is what will happen if you love me. My love and the father will love you and we will come and we'll make our home with you. Godet says here on earth, it is God who makes his abode with the believer in heaven. It will be the believer who will make his abode with God. But what in the world are we talking about? God making his home with us. What's the nature of this loving relationship? What's this soulmate-like love that Christians enjoy with God and Christ when he comes and makes his home with us? Well, first of all, beloved, it's real. Very real. It's not imaginary. This is evident by the fact that its reality can be pressed on the believer even when he or she is not even thinking about it. Even when... Due to circumstances, his or her mind may be far from thinking about the love of God at all. We might have something going going on in our lives that's just consuming us. And we're being overwhelmed by it. And we can't think of anything else. And all of a sudden, some token of this blessed love that God has for us breaks in upon the heart and upon the mind. And we know, we we, we know the love of God for us, even while we're in the midst of that trial, even while we're in the midst of that suffering. We weren't looking for it, we weren't searching for it, but God presses it upon us because he wants us to know of his love for us, even in the midst of those trials. It is so real. It's hard to explain to people who don't know it. But to everyone who does know it, we know the reality of it. It's pressed upon us. When Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest cursing and denying Christ, and the rooster crowed, he looked across the courtyard and there was Jesus in the middle of a humiliating and mocking trial, looking back at Peter in that moment, with a look of compassion, understanding, and affection. Peter wasn't looking for that. That wasn't what Peter expected to see. He looked up in shame at that moment. And he caught the eye of Christ, or Christ caught the eye of Peter, I should say. And what Peter saw was love. And it broke his heart in that moment. Because the love of Christ was fixed on this man. And at that moment, Peter knew just how real the love of Jesus was for him. Secondly, this relationship is spiritually tangible, if we can put it that way. That's not easy to put it that way, but I can't think of any other way to say it. In other words, we can be aware of the Lord with us, we can't see it physically. So the temptation is to say that it's just felt, or felt, but the truth is, that's not an adequate description. It's not just felt. It's more than a feeling. It's not something you can lay your hand on, but it's still tangible. Paul speaks of it having the power to constrain or compel us to action. That is to take hold of us and move us to bear witness to God's grace in the gospel. Paul talks about that in himself. Christ has hold of me. His love has hold of me. And that love that he has for me has compelled me. It's moved me. It's pushed me out to be a witness for him. It's realized in the conviction of sin and the desire for an exercise of repentance, all of those things. In Romans chapter five, verse one, Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, a tangible peace, a real peace. Through him also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have real joy because we have a real expectation that in the presence of God, we will stand and rejoice and glorify him. and, And we have a real sense of that. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we prosper in these trials because this thing is real and it's tangible. It also gives assurance of salvation. And it provides peace and wisdom and understanding and comfort and correction. All that being worked in us by the effectual application of the Word of God by the Spirit of God in our hearts. Now ahead still is the consideration of the three additional things. That this free love of God is also full. That it supplies everything that such love demands, requires, or expects. That the love of God is effectual. It makes itself known even in the most difficult circumstances. And it is unfailing. Neither time nor circumstance will diminish it. But we'll pick up those next time, Lord willing. But I want to close this morning with this. And I think you know what comes next here. What is it like for you who have this kind of love to have such a precious thing in your possession as this free, inestimable love of God for you? What is that like for you as an individual? Not what do you expect it to be. Not what do you think it looks like in other people, but what is it for you? What is it for you to be so gifted as to have this love that cannot be bought or earned? You have it. You have it in your possession. And no one out there who may envy it, can buy it. No one out there can earn it. It's come to you as a gift. A gift of love because of God's love. And what is it to be in possession of such a thing? To be in possession of something no one can acquire but by the grace of God and to know that that's how you acquired it. What is it like for you to have God at home within you? How do you describe that? What does that look like in your heart and in your life? God at home with you. He's in his loving home in you. And you understand that I'm asking you these things because it's vital that you know and explore the reality of your faith and the nature of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is twofold. First, as our culture and times change, none of us knows what might be required of him or her because of your faith. We don't know where all this is heading. And you don't know what might be required of you. We have the privilege of sitting here now and in relative ease we have the time to examine our hearts and our lives in light of the word of God and to do it with open opportunity. The day may soon be coming when that examination will be conducted under much more difficult circumstances. And that brings us to the second reason. Because it is guaranteed that a closer and more trying examination is coming for every one of you who professes Christ because the day of our death in this world looms ahead of every one of us. For some, it may be years ahead. For others, hours, perhaps even minutes. We were in a service just like this in Tennessee when I was in Knoxville. It was a wonderful day in the Lord's house. Great blessings among us. One of the sweetest and dearest Christian women I've ever known was in that service rejoicing with us. The service broke up. We said our goodbyes, greeted each other just like always. I uh, went home, ate dinner, and then went to my study to prepare for the evening service and the phone rang. And it was the nephew of this dear sweet woman. And he said, Violet is dead. She went to lunch with him like she did every Sunday and she pulled out of the parking lot of the diner and was broadsided and immediately killed. No indication, no preparation. The Lord was ready to have her home with him, but it was stunning. And None of us knows when the Lord will call us home it may be years, it may be hours. But now is the time to prepare. This is the moment to know that we really know this love of Christ in our hearts. That this is really ours. That we really know this. We really have this. This covenant relationship that the scripture talks about, this having God come and live with us, is truly what we know as a believer. Now is the time to know that you abide in the love of God through Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter says this, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For so an entrance shall be supplied uh, to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the thing that we want to be sure of. That we have this place in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Searching our hearts for the testimony and character of that love and finding it there will only confirm us in our assurance that we are in Christ. But searching for it and finding it lacking is a call. It's a call to consider more carefully what is the character of our relationship to this one and to this love, this soulmate-like love that God says abides on those who are His through Christ Jesus. That's why we're talking about these things the way we are. And I pray that God will bless us as we do. it will strengthen us in our faith and trust in him. Revive our hearts as we think about what it means to be loved like this. And if we don't know that love, to call on him now that we might know that love through Christ. That the gospel might take root and power in any who are without him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your loving kindness is better than life itself. That's not just the statement of David. It is the statement of everyone who knows your love. And every one of us who have had the testimony of the truth of that that love pressed upon us. Lord, we give you thanks for it this morning. We glorify your name for it, and we thank you for loving us with this free and precious love. And Lord, we pray that if there's any here who don't have that relationship, that Lord, even now they will seek it, that they might know this precious thing that's so hard for us to know it to even explain. That, Lord, they might know the fullness of it, not through our experience, but, Lord, through their own experience, their own relationship to you, their own feeding on the word, their own peace and trust in Jesus Christ. Help them to see, Lord, that here in his love, not that we first loved you, but that you loved us and sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins. Lord, bless us as we consider these things together, both here and at home today. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified in the thanksgiving of your people. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand one more time with me and open your hymnals to hymn 535.